นโมทัสสะบกวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมปุตตะสามนโมทัสสะกวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมปุตตะสามนโมทัสสะกวะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมปุตตะสามพุทธังดมังสังขังนมัสสะ
when I think about that experience, uh, uh, the wisdom of those great teachers was inspiring. Uh, But it was the compassion that was sustaining. Mm. Now, I could say that wisdom and compassion are the same thing. They're expressions of uh, the awakened human consciousness, the awakened human heart. Mm. You could say it's like like the hand, looking at the front of the hand is wisdom, looking at the back of the hand is compassion. They're the same thing, but they are different aspects of the same thing, and they are both worth uh, considering, mm. worth dwelling on. Mm. You know, and I think about my time living with Ajahn Chah, I think, well, if Ajahn Chah was all wisdom, then I don't think I would have been able to stay. Mm. But then if he had been all compassion, then probably I shouldn't have stayed. Mm. Wisdom, real wisdom, real compassion work together and in the case of the Buddha his choice to live the lifestyle of a mendicant monk was born out of this perfect wisdom of perfect compassion considering the predicament of suffering beings he saw that the most beneficial way to live his life would be in that form So the Buddha's wisdom could see the cause of suffering and the cessation of suffering. The Buddha's compassion meant that whenever whenever he witnessed suffering, he couldn't but make an effort to help. And that's the expression of an awakened heart or true wisdom. We talk a lot about the Buddha's wisdom, the Buddha's knowledge, the Buddha's insight. It's also very important that we spend time dwelling on uh, the compassion that was expressed in the Buddha's teaching and the Buddha's life. Of course, the predicament that we find ourselves in with our individual suffering or we look at the world around us and go, why, why do human beings behave the way they do? When there's an opportunity for so much goodness, an opportunity for so much that's really beautiful, and yet the behavior, our own and others, is, is not always beautiful. And, you know, what is it that gets in the way? It's the... There's this deluded sense of self, this obstructed consciousness, contracted heart. And how do we heal this? What is the medicine? Well, yes, contemplating the wisdom teaching of the Buddha can make a difference, but also contemplating compassion can make a big difference. Easing this knotted heart muscle Mm. warming up this frozen condition Mm. makes a difference.
Tanajan Mahabua, one of the great meditation teachers of the last century in Thailand, and he was talking about the nature of the human heart immediately after awakening and uh, saying how the it's so glaringly obvious that human beings are really, really thick because we do all these things that make ourselves suffer and then we blame somebody else for it Um, this, this predicament of human foolishness is so glaringly obvious that the recently awakened being is disinclined to teach. There's just not the motivation to try and point out the truth because obviously people are not going to see it. But as we know from the, the Buddha's teaching himself, he said, there are beings with but a little dust in their eyes that despite the way it seems, they do have the ability to understand. And so that's what motivated the Buddha himself to teach. And Ajahn Mahabur was explaining how with time and the warmth of compassion, that the heart just keeps softening. Mm-hmm. Immediately after awakening, the enlightened being might be quite ferocious, but as time goes by and the heart softens, uh, the being changes. And in fact, he was talking about one of his colleagues and how after his uh, awakening, the ferocity of, uh, of a tiger was evident. But as time went by, he said that he turned into a little pussycat. And that uh, until he said his disciples were going up and pulling his tail. Mm-hmm. So wisdom and compassion, uh, both worth dwelling on, and, and coming to understand, coming to see the function. Mm-hmm. These expressions of uh, the potential of our human existence. And if you ever have the uh, exceedingly good fortune to be around really wise beings. You know, if you ever meet a truly wise man or truly wise woman, mm. you, it's quite likely you feel you just want to be there with them, you just want to stay near them. And why is that? It's because wisdom has liberated the heart's natural warmth. The obstructions have been dissolved. Wisdom has dissolved the obstructions. The hindrances have gone. So the natural warmth, the natural potential of the human heart for compassion can radiate out and and reach us. So it's perfectly natural, perfectly understandable that we will want to spend time in their company. So for where we're at in our state of aspiring on this path, on this journey of liberation, what we can do about it is we can observe our teachers. We can use our minds to approximate the conditions of wisdom and compassion. We can approximate 
the state of wisdom and the state of compassion. Yeah. You might think, well, it's not the real thing that's being dishonest. I don't want a, I don't want a, a synthetic sort of wisdom or a synthetic sort of compassion. And you know, we've we've come across probably possibly people who display a synthetic sort of wisdom and it's pretty unattractive and synthetic loving kindness can be quite unappealing I wouldn't want to become like that and that of course is appropriate and understandable but with mindfulness with sense restraint with wise reflection you can still approximate these states of mind without being dishonest to ourselves. Mm. So we're not pretending that this approximation for wisdom, our contemplation of anicca, dukkha, anatta, that's what it is. It's a contemplation, it's an approximation of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self. But it's suitable to put energy, to invest energy, to dwell on. It's, it's like building a you know, if you if you plant a wisteria and there's nothing for it to grow up, where's it going to grow? So you build a frame, you build a trellis, or you're planting green beans. It's helpful to have a frame for the beans to grow over, so you can pick them. In a similar way, the approximating wisdom by contemplating the Buddha's teachings and contemplating the example of our teachers is suitable contemplating uh, dwelling on thoughts of compassion loving kindness is suitable and can can help similar to if we had a problem with anger this morning in our Sunday morning reading of the translated teachings of Ajahn Chah Somebody asked Ajahn Chah the question, you know, I have a problem with getting caught up in anger and hatred. And how do I deal with it? And Ajahn Chah said, well, you, you cultivate loving kindness. And merely thinking about why we're so angry or have so much rage, well, thinking can have its place. A conceptual understanding can give us a sense of, okay, there are reasons for this. But that's a very initial way of working with this wild energy of rage, of anger, of hatred. We need a counterforce. Ajahn Chah was pointing out the counterforce for anger is loving kindness. So we approximate loving kindness. We approximate peace of heart. But that doesn't mean to say that we're lying to ourselves. We're not pretending that it's the real thing. It inclines us in that direction. We don't immediately transform from a heart possessed with rage into love and light. But gradually, skillfully, carefully, we use our mind, disciplined attention, to contemplate what happens. That person says such and such, and I feel this. That's what they say. They say that, and I feel this. It's happened many times before. But if we contemplate it and say, well, do I have to meet it with anger? Or is there a way of containing it? Is there a way of replacing it? We can contemplate 
that happens, this happens, and there might be an alternative way of relating. We use our minds to prepare our hearts to respond in a different way. Remembering, of course, that we're not just talking about repressing anger. That's, That's not helpful at all. But neither are we indulging in it, following it. There is an alternative. And the alternative is using mindfulness, sense restraint, wise reflection. We contain this wild energy, containing it, valuing it, respecting it. We wouldn't want to get rid of it. It's our heart energy. It's just that its unruly, untamed nature is causing a lot of problems. So... So as to contain it, we use wise reflection, restraint, and then consider the possibility of an alternative relationship to this wild energy. So we don't want to be overly afraid of our heart's wild nature, its potential. I often point to our compost heap down by the lake filthy, ugly, stinky thing that it is. It's one of the least attractive parts of this monastery, the compost heap. It's not beautifully designed, it's not beautifully located, and it doesn't smell beautiful. But it's good stuff. Compost is really valuable. Oh, so it is with a lot of our unlived life, a lot of our pain, a lot of our unprocessed anger and sadness and disappointment. We want to respect it, we want to appreciate it. But we do need to learn how to be skillful in how we approach it. So consciously cultivating, in this reflection, cultivating compassion, the heart of compassion, appreciating how it works, appreciating the ability to generate thoughts of well-wishing, contemplating how how all beings suffer and all beings want to be free from suffering. We don't have to convince ourselves of that. You just look. Okay, awakened beings, they don't suffer like we do. They still have pain, but they don't suffer. But all unawakened beings suffer. Suffer fear of loss, suffer disappointment, suffer worry, suffer the consequence of being attached to an ageing body. All beings suffer and all beings wish to be free from suffering. And we can use our minds to generate the intentional wish, may beings be free from suffering. We can use our imagination to consider how that might be possible. And if we work with it skillfully, then imagination and compassion maybe we'll find it leads on to insight and compassion so we approximate these conditions in a mindful skillful way and with the attention of softening our hearts warming up our hearts opening expanding creating more space for the life that we have contracted around pain is it's so 
evident in our own life and in others that we think it's normal. If you have the, once again, the good fortune to meet beings who've recovered from that disfigurement, that distortion of self-obsession and realise selfless compassion, realise true wisdom, well, actually, this is not normal. This state of self-referencing, this state of being committed to me and my way is not an obligation, something we can do about it. So this conscious cultivation of wisdom and compassion is what we do about it. And, and we can encourage ourselves in this practice of conscious cultivation of compassion by seeing how it nourishes insight. It's not you know, merely you know, some therapy that is going to console us and put us to sleep. We probably don't want that to happen. Compassion is much more powerful than that. When there's compassion arising in our hearts, even the approximation of compassion, we learn to not take our problems quite so seriously. See, empathy means we recognize everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. We're all the same. When we're caught in the in the contraction of self-obsession, we can easily think it's all about me. Possibly it's more acute at this stage of human evolution than ever before. You know, we have ways of containing our behaviour, so we're not, generally speaking, as cruel and unpleasant to each other as we have been in the past, but you know, people are not, generally speaking, terribly happy either. And why is that? It's, uh, well, this is... One way of understanding it, this self-referencing, this commitment to getting what I want, means that we become more isolated, more disconnected from each other, and we lose something very precious in the process. We lose empathy. So with cultivation of compassion, we can regain empathy. We can sense that we're all in this together, this feeling of, I can't handle this. Other people feel that as well. And just in that perception, a little loosening of the contraction, a little warming up of the frozen heart. And that can make a difference. So if we can consider how cultivation of compassion can support dissolving the deluded sense of self, well, that's also an encouragement in this practice. The painful consequences of being caught up in desire when it's motivated by a commitment to me and my way, that pain is is really difficult to deal with. And all of us suffer it, spoils friendships, spoils opportunities, spoils even the opportunity of enjoying being peacefully alone. So caught up in my problems and, and my obstructions that we can't even simply enjoy aloneness and have to desperately distract ourselves. And so the deluded desire that's the expression of a commitment to me and my way is something that would be really nice if we could ease out of that. And being able to go against the current of me and my way, 
And that's what these exercises in approximating compassion are aiming at. They're generating a counterforce. The intentional, wise reflection on the Buddha's teaching, the intentional investment in the cultivation of compassion, uh, generating a counterforce which goes against uh, this painful commitment to me and my way. Probably many of you are familiar with the, the Buddha's life just prior to his awakening where he had accepted a bowl of milk rice from Sujata, having eaten this milk rice and being re-energized. And he, was, he was so weak and, and emaciated that starving himself through fasting, he become obstructed in his pursuit of liberation. But having received this bowl of milk rice from Sujata and eaten it, and then it's said that the Buddha placed this bowl into the stream, the river, the Naranjana River that was he was sitting beside, and he placed this bowl in the stream and and made the determination, made the vow that if I'm to arrive at awakening, at liberation today, may this bowl float upstream. May this bowl go against the current of the river. And what this symbolizes is the Buddha's heart, the Buddha's mind, following a countercurrent, going against the worldly current of craving, gratification of me and my way. And the bowl did float upstream, and the Buddha did that day reach awakening. So is the Buddha's wisdom means that he could see the cause of suffering and the cessation of suffering and the Buddha's wisdom was expressed in the compassion that meant that he taught for the rest of his long life. This was his teaching. So if we are inspired to invest energy in cultivating compassion. How do we go about it? Probably probably most of you are familiar with the traditional practice of the cultivation of loving kindness and how uh, it's this encouragement to start with yourself and generate the wish, may I be well, may I be well, and to focus on that wish of on that sense of well-wishing for oneself and, and then engage in the exercise of spreading this wish outwards, you know, thinking of beings that we perhaps are not uh, here but we feel warmly towards and then beings that we don't necessarily have an emotional connection with, don't know, but maybe feel neutral about and then those that we don't feel so good about the idea being to try and hold that wish beings be well and this it seems works for some people 
for some people, including myself, when I first heard this, it just it just really didn't work. And I don't know whether it was because the teacher who was teaching it didn't sound like he had a lot of well-being and it sounded like he was smearing this kind of positivity over a lot of pain. And it didn't strike me as a particularly attractive sort of practice. Or maybe it was because my own pain at the time was so intense, so deep, that just I couldn't hear it. I didn't want to hear it. What was going through my mind was, may that teacher go to hell. May all beings go to hell. Well, I'm already in hell. And, and that's certainly what it felt like. And so, well, I failed at the cultivation of loving kindness. But thankfully, what I did discover around that time was that being aware of suffering, my own suffering, which I was acutely aware of, and then bringing to heart, bringing to mind the thoroughly unattractive thought that friends of mine, people I was close to, they might also suffer, just spontaneously gave rise to this wish, this feeling of, may they not experience such suffering? May they be free from such suffering as this. And that's compassion. That was real and that made sense. For those who have a deep sense of pain, who don't otherwise have access to a way of holding it, intentional cultivation of a heart of compassion sometimes perhaps works better than trying to cultivate loving-kindness. Loving-kindness or metta or well-wishing, maybe that only works if you're in touch with well-being to start off with. Most people who are not as confused as we are, they can readily access well-being. Unless complicated, confused, intense societies than the one we live in for a lot of those beings actually it's quite normal to be able to wish themselves well but for a lot of us we carry such a backlog of denied pain that it can be it just doesn't work but what can work is turning around and looking at our suffering really feeling it, consciously feeling the pain of life, whether it's the the suffering of fear. Fear really hurts. Fear of being misunderstood, fear of failure, fear of being thrown out, fear of being cast into eternal hell fear of being rejected, unloved. It's not difficult to bring to mind a memory of that and if we feel then in our body, particularly in the heart area, also in the guts, the solar plexus, anxiety, nebulous fear that something terrible is about to happen. For a lot of people, this is 
what they live with. It's what they spend much of their life trying to avoid. With well-cultivated mindfulness, sense restraint, a wise reflection, we gently, carefully pay attention to that feeling in the body, that suffering, fear, or maybe it's sadness. For some people it's a deep sense of sadness, loss, or whether it's loss of relationship or loss of opportunity or things not working out. Using our minds to remember that pain and then in our bodies, in our hearts, to feel it. This is what suffering feels like. And then very carefully, very sensitively imagining somebody that we care about feeling such pain and then registering the response. May they not have such suffering as this. May they not suffer like this. May they be free from suffering. And that becomes our theme of meditation. The feeling in our hearts, in our guts, the impression in our heads, bringing the head and heart and guts all together in this embodied recollection of the predicament of human suffering. Until we give rise, we quicken that sense in our hearts. May they be free from suffering. May they not have to go through such suffering as this. It's important that it be a genuine felt wish associated with a clear thought. And if all we can feel is just this intense struggle with confusion and we don't know what we feel, then we register that suffering. The suffering of being so confused we don't even know what we feel. Wherever we meet ourselves in our struggle, we receive ourselves there. And imagining then somebody that we really care about experiencing such suffering, giving rise to the wish, may they be free from suffering. And if it doesn't work in any way, We register that suffering. Even this we fail at. But we can know that suffering. And there's going to be somebody that we care about. May they not experience such suffering. And then using the imagination to move around other people that we're close to, we care about, or we're associated with, we have some emotional association with, and feeling with them that they suffer, and giving rise to this wish, holding this wish. May they not have to experience such suffering. May they be free from suffering. So wonderfully liberating feeling. You can feel the heart swell as a 
as it expands to accommodate this compassionate wish. And may they be free from suffering. May they not have to know such suffering as this. And as we get familiar with holding that feeling in the body, holding that thought in the mind, and then expanding it out to people that we perhaps know but don't have any real involvement with, the neighbours that we see but don't know anything about them, but just dropping in the suggestion, they suffer too. Look at them. Look at that expression on their face. Or even if we can't see it, just imagining it. All beings suffer. It's not difficult to imagine how that's true. And we can apply this anywhere in the... driving a car and seeing somebody in the car next to you or being on public transport or being in a workplace. Just look at somebody and register their suffering and give rise to this wish. May they be free from suffering and feel the connection. Feel the dissolving of the separation. Feel the expanding of the heart of compassionate awareness, compassionate sensitivity to include this person, this being, in our life, in our hearts also. And if we get skilled at it, we we can move on to people that we actually really don't like. We've got a steadiness of attention, some degree of mindfulness and concentration established, then we can hold that feeling and bring it to bear, shine that light on somebody that perhaps we really don't don't like at all, but the dislikes can be dissolved in this heart of compassion. They too suffer. All beings suffer. In fact, perhaps the way they behave the way they do is just because they suffer so much. And you start to suspect, actually, there's nobody, maybe eventually you'll find there's nobody that you cannot include in the heart of compassion. And then very gently bring that same quality of openness, receptivity, caring around to this being. Me too. May I be free from suffering. Am I allowed to wish that for myself? Am I allowed to generate such caring, such warmth, such sensitivity for me? Yes. It's what we're supposed to be doing. All beings are to be included in the heart of compassion. It's only the deluded commitment to me and my way that contracts our hearts, collapses our field of awareness and means we haven't got enough room to include all beings. So with a careful, sensitive application of effort, however hard the going might be, we resolutely make this effort to remain sensitive 
And we don't have to be afraid of our heart sensitivity when we have a feeling for compassion. We're only afraid of our sensitivity when we're afraid of being hurt, which we all are, but with a feeling for this cultivational heart of compassion, it can give us confidence, a quiet sort of confidence, even if it's only the smallest inkling of the possibility of genuinely caring using this awareness, this sensitivity to the suffering of life, our own and others, to warm our hearts up just a little bit and see how it can contribute to growing in confidence on this journey. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. Anda mayang dhamma kata ya salah dukaran gada